Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Manchester finds itself painted blue once again this weekend as Pep Guardiola's Manchester City sealed a Premier League double this season thanks to a 4-1 win over Manchester United. Three points in the bag for Liverpool yesterday had ramped up the pressure on Pep, but De Bruyne and co have responded in style on Sunday as the Premier League title race looks set to go all the way in 2022. 4-1 at the Etihad and Liverpool's 1-0 win at Anfield over West Ham means it's as you were in the title race with 10 games to go at the top. What this means for both the title race and the top four we'll be getting stuck into in part one as well as looking at United and what happens next at Old Trafford. In part two we check in with the latest situation down the bottom as Leeds's American revolution started with defeat at Leicester. Burnley slipped up against Chelsea but the Bees stung the Canaries as an Ivan Tony inspired Brentford sealed their first win on the road since October. And then in part three, we're going to look at the goal-hungry rest of the games this weekend with big, big wins for Aston Villa, Crystal Palace, Newcastle and the top four's latest member, Arsenal. So an absolutely action-packed end to the weekend. My name's Fergal Brennan. Now, I've got to be honest, Adam Keyworth was meant to be representing the Sky Blue Corner on tonight's show, but he is pretending to be trapped on a tram. I'm pretty confident that he's actually trapped in the pub. So FSD's very own Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, not that one, we know he's out of a job. Our Solskjaer has answered the call. Who else on a Sunday night but the Stretford Paddock's finest, Jay Motti. Jay, how are we doing? Been better, I'm not going to lie to you. It's nothing worse than, or a few things are bad as losing a Manchester derby, especially in the manner we've lost it. So yeah, this is going to be a tough one, but hopefully at least I've got, you know, a good mate on with me. Well, two, I should say. Very good, very good, very polite. Uh, but we're going to let you get stuck into United uh, in just a second. Alongside Jay and hopefully hoping to make sense of it all for United from the Manchester United podcast, the masterclass, Rob Blanchett. Rob, how are you doing? Well, just like my mate Jay, I've been better. Um, bad result. United needed to be better than they were. They needed a victory today. But I do think also just in reality, it felt like this result might happen. Yeah. Um, it is a tough one to take uh, just going to run through some of the painful details from your experience as United fans 4-1 on the day at the Etihad two goals for Kevin De Bruyne and two for Riyad Mahrez cancelling out Jadon Sancho this means that Manchester City are as they were in the Premier League title race up against Liverpool we're going to talk about City in a second but having two United heads on is actually not a bad thing because the big story in reality despite this being a really impressive performance from Manchester City and a little reminder to Liverpool that they are going to go stride for stride the big story is Manchester United and, and former players pundits journalists have been queuing up in the post-match to, to kind of have a bit of a dig at United so I'm going to go with my pal Roy Keane first Jay because his post-game comments as usual are absolutely box office so I'm just going to read you what he said. I'm going to try not to laugh while I'm reading this because it is good, but I want to get your reaction to it, to what Roy has to say. He said, who is running the Manchester United dressing room? These guys seem more bothered about how do I look? How's my hair looking? Are my boots nice? 
this just isn't good enough when you play for Manchester United you leave your ego at the door I'm looking at the United fans and they're not daft they're watching this team and they see no fight there's no excuses there'll be statements about this in the next few days but we've all seen this today we've all seen what happens and it's what you say on the pitch that matters and at the moment it's not good enough they're not interested there's no fight and there's no hope would you agree with Roy? To a certain degree, yeah, I would. I think in terms of the fight, especially in the second half, there wasn't any. I thought, actually, the first half, I thought there were some poor defensive errors, but we were in the game. We were up for it. We were causing problems for Manchester City. We had some chances. Obviously, got Jadon Sancho got a good goal and we had a couple of other chances. And I actually felt slightly, it's the hope that kills you, I felt slightly optimistic in the second half. I thought, OK, we can come out and we can you know, get the likes of Sancho and Pogba on the ball. Maybe we can cause some more problems. We just didn't turn up in that second half. And you can't do that against a team like Manchester City. And I know Roy Keane will be looked at and people go, oh, you know, he's a bit of a, a comical figure or whatever, or he's just on a, on, a, on a rant. But the one thing he knows about is Manchester United's standards. And he, he knows that probably better than anyone. And I look at it and I think the standards have slipped a bit when you're going into that second half and you, you sort of almost... And I don't like using these terms because I think it's a little bit unfair at times, but it, it, you get the impression that they just give up. They just think, we're not in this anymore. We're not going to win this game. It's almost damage limitations straight away, even if that. And that's the, the sad thing about it is we didn't really go down fighting. After the game at Old Trafford earlier this season against Manchester City, the worst part for me about that game was it was done after 45 minutes. It was done. It was, you know, we, we weren't in it in the second half. And I actually felt very sorry. I think Jaden Sancho came on at half-time. I remember feeling sorry for him because he was coming onto a hiding to nothing against his former club. And it was, it was a similar story in the second half this time round. We were just almost, it was almost like a training exercise for Manchester City. I'm seeing Cancelo doing scissor kicks in our area. I'm seeing Rodri just dictating the play with some of his passing. You know, there was nothing there from United. I don't think we had one shot, I think, in the second half. I mean, that's just unbelievable for me, for a Manchester derby. And, you know, Ralph Ragnick tries to make some change, or he does make changes. Rashford comes on, Lingard comes on. Didn't really change anything, did it? We just looked lost. And it's, it's, it's sickening, really, sitting here talking about a team that I love and talking about a result that matters to me and not being able to find any real positives at all, you know, other than the Sancho goal and the first half. The second half was so bad that I feel like, I feel I almost feel sorry for Ralph Randnick because he's got to sort that mess out and get us going again because we've got a massive game against Spurs and another equally big game against Atletico Madrid and our season looks like it's just ready to unravel. Rob, I'm going to throw a couple of the statistics at you because it is damning, as Jay said and as Jay's mate Roy Keane said in terms of giving up and not running back and, and not really caring necessarily what it means to represent Manchester United so across the 90 minutes it was 70-30 in City's favour in terms of possession 24 shots for City five on target obviously four of them in the back of the net you, you've just got this situation where United are trailing in every metric I'm reading through here and one of the really big standout ones is that in the final 25 minutes when City scored their last two goals it was 94% possession for Manchester City which is absolutely incredible from their point of view but it does tell the tale of the tape that United were just not in this in the second half. It does. And uh, like Jay said there, you know, I think in the first half, United did some really good things. You know, we're trying to counter press. Obviously, that's where Jaden's goal came from. And I think if the game ended after half an hour or, you know, just around that mark, you might have said it was a, a fairly level match. But I think, you know, what we saw in the second half is what's wrong with Manchester United. You know, the real endemic issues at the football club in terms of the personnel. Because the individuals that make up the 11 there at Man United and the wider squad, there's just a lack of chemistry and connection between them. And you can see it in a football pitch. So in these moments where you're playing a better team, and let's be honest, Manchester City are better than Manchester United. We know this. You've got to get in there and at least fight. And I think in that second half, you know, I don't like using words like caring. I think the players do care. I just think they haven't got a clue what to do in adversity. So when their backs are against the wall and they've really got to just get in there and scrap and fight, 
They lose it. You even saw players who whose game it is to fight, like the McTominays and the Freds and, and Aaron Wambasaka, these types of players who at least you'd like them to go to war for you. It, it just fell apart. They just were not there. They were, had nothing to kind of provide or to give. So I, I feel sorry for Ralph Raniak because I think he set the team up really well today. And I think since he came to Man United, he set the team up well. This is not a tactical issue. This is about the players and about their personalities. Along with criticism from Gary Neville and, and Peter Schmeichel, Jay Keane's old midfielder and uh, midfield partner Paul Scholes gave a much shorter answer when he was asked about the situation. He said, this is very simple. The problems at Manchester United will not be solved until the new manager comes in. And whoever the new manager is, whether Rangnick somehow extends and stays, whether it's Pochettino, whether it's Ten Hag, whoever it is that takes over Manchester United, their in-tray is getting fuller and fuller and fuller by the day. And every time Manchester United lose a game, there does seem to be this idea that, well, as soon as the new manager comes in, things are going to turn around. Based on this type of performance, unless it is an actual miracle worker that comes in, the road is going to be much longer. I mean, I've said this before. I think I've said it on this podcast. It's not just about the management. Obviously, the manager is a very important person at, at the club. But you look at the structure, you look at the strategy, or you look at the plan, or you look at the lack of those things, that's what worries me. Because we've been here before, and it was, you know, if, if someone takes over from David Moyes, if we get Louis van Gaal in, he'll, he'll solve our problems. If, if Jose Mourinho takes over from Louis van Gaal, that'll solve our problems. If Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is given the job permanently, he'll solve our problems. And we always end up sort of sacking a manager and looking for the next answer. I think we need to change the structure at the club. I think there's something sort of broken at Manchester United the way we do things and that's what really worries me because yes obviously we do need a permanent manager we need a manager with a vision and who can get the best out of these players whether that's Eric Ten Hag or Mauricio Pochettino that's probably a debate for another show but no matter who comes in for me unless you change a lot of the structure at Manchester United you're going to face these same problems every two or three years which is what we've done since Sir Alex Ferguson retired now we do have John Murtagh in now we do have Darren Fletcher in Ed Woodward has moved on maybe there is a bit of a change but you know for me it remains to be seen how effective that change will be but that's the fundamental issue at Manchester United. It's not just this merry-go-round of managers that's the problem. It's the, the sort of the lack of a, a long-term plan and the lack of a real coherent structure at this football club. It just seems like we go from one manager to the next, we throw a load of money at him, then we stop throwing money at him and then we sack him and then we get a new guy in and then he brings in a completely different set of players and usually some different coaching staff as well and then we change that in a couple of seasons. I mean, that's the thing. You know, We're going to be sat here in two and a half years say you know Eric Ten Hag needs to go we need to bring in someone else mm. I think whoever comes in has to have a better setup than the current one at Manchester United because for me it's just fundamentally flawed Looking at the situation for Manchester City and what this means for the title race uh, Rob same as it was at the start of the weekend in terms of City and Liverpool 28 games played for Manchester City 69 points on the board Liverpool 27 games and 63 points on the board obviously they've still got this game in hand we've talked about the stats and the performances that it was an absolute polar opposite City's big players De Bruyne Mahrez stepping up when they needed and United's big players just, just not either being able to impact the game or being forced out of the game by the, the class that City had shown Given the fact that this is a derby, it's going to mean a huge amount to the fans. Man City fans will be lording it over Manchester United fans for doing the double over them. Is it a measure of where Manchester City are that they are viewing this game way more important in terms of what it means for the title race rather than a derby win over United? Oh, completely. You know, Manchester City live on a different stratosphere compared to Manchester United these days. You know, United are not contenders. It's just a, a simple fact. And I also think, in terms of you just you mentioned about individuals and players and one thing or another, I got pulled into a, a kind of Twitter debate the other day about De Bruyne and Bruno Fernandes. And, you know, I'm not trying to deliberately pull down Bruno or anything like that. But I think when you compare the two players and people saying, you know, who's the better player? And I said, well, De Bruyne, because De Bruyne does it season after season after season at the very, very top. And Bruno, who's come to a Manchester United team, did very well last year, has got incredible stats. But I think you saw today, again, how flawed parts of his games are. And we've seen it throughout the season. So again, I think for Man City... Um, you know their their function is to win titles that's what they're about you know that's what Manchester United used to be about United are now trying to find a way just to be relevant again so you know that hurts fans like myself and uh, like Jay and everyone else that loves Man United but ultimately City are, are the top dogs in Manchester at the moment there's no doubt about it 
Uh, my two pence on Fernandez and De Bruyne is obviously I don't have a horse in the United City race. Kevin De Bruyne and Angolo Kante are the best two midfielders in the Premier League, and everyone else is a bit of a distance behind uh, behind Kante and De Bruyne. That's that's my take on it. Right, we're going to move on to Liverpool. Jay, I'm going to throw this one over to you to start with. It gets, it gets at home. worse. <laughs> It does, it does indeed. 1-0 uh, at home to West Ham. This was a box ticked for Liverpool. West Ham probably are running out of gas a little bit in terms of pushing for the top four. They're still in the race for Europa and they're still in the Europa League this season, but that push for top four maybe might just be a bit of a stretch, stretch too far for them. So in terms of Liverpool, three points on the board, put the pressure on City ahead of the derby today. City obviously responded perfectly from a Manchester City perspective. So... I want to look at a maybe possible weakness at Liverpool and that's the amount of chances that they gave up against West Ham. First half, Manuel Lanzini had one hooked off the line by Trent Alexander-Arnold and then Pablo Fornals had an absolute golden chance to get a point right at the end and he whacked it over Alisson's bar. Things are going to get tight between now and the end of the season. I said in the intro, they're probably going to go stride for stride against each other. Is that a vulnerability that Liverpool have that could eventually come back to bite them. Van Dijk is arguably the best centre-back in the world, and particularly at putting out fires, he's probably the best. But are there teams left in the Premier League that can capitalise on that? For all of Liverpool's talent going forward, it just takes one quick striker, and they could find themselves in a poor situation. Possibly. I mean, they, they, I watched the, the West Ham game, and they did, like you say, they did concede a few chances, and, and perhaps West Ham should have done better. But I always feel like, the thing with Liverpool, the thing with any title winning or title challenging team is they, they can get results where maybe they shouldn't and they can grind out some of those results and they can ride the luck a little bit. And over the course of the season, I think Liverpool defensively have been pretty solid. I think they've they've conceded it, you know, around is it twenty goals, I think, which isn't, you know, that bad. I think it's I think it's only two a couple of goals is it behind City, is it, if that's right. Um, so yes, they have these little vulnerabilities, they are an attacking side and sometimes they can get caught out. But I also feel like Liverpool have, have, have sort of got into that groove now. They're just winning games, whether they're winning them comfortably or they're winning them where they've had to ride the luck a bit, little bit. They're, they're getting themselves over the line. You know, one week they're absolutely smashing leads or whatever. And the next week it's like, OK, we've had to ride our luck a little bit, but we've, we've got it. We've got the win. And that's what title winning teams do. They, they, they don't always just storm from every game. Sometimes they have to grind out results. Sometimes they have to have that little bit of fortune. And, and I do think it's going to be neck and neck with Liverpool and City, which is just a horrible situation to be sat in here as a Manchester United fan. But I think I said it last time I was on, I think that game they've got at the Etihad against City is going to prove seminal. I think it's not the first time that these two have had a game where at the Etihad where that's that's sort of helped decide the title. And I think that might be the case here as well because I think that for different reasons both City and, and Liverpool just look like they're, they're going to win practically every game at the minute. Quickly on West Ham before we take a, uh, a break Rob in terms of their push for Europe be that Champions League or be that the Europa League they've only won two in the last five in the Premier League and they've only won one away from home in the Premier League in 2022 and that was all the way back on New Year's Day away at Watford they did have chances at Anfield they couldn't put them away they couldn't make an impact on the game in terms of coming away from this with a point when we look at the Premier League table there is so many games in hand for teams that are around them in the table themselves and Manchester United are the only ones that are up to date Tottenham have played 25 West Ham and United have both played 28 and then Arsenal who are now in fourth have played 25 three games in hand either side of them you'd expect Tottenham and Arsenal to pick up points and even if they don't get maximum points you can just see West Ham getting squeezed out of this yeah, and I think as well it's it's options, isn't it? So we saw Jared Bowen limp off against Liverpool, and if he's out for an extended period of time, you know he's been their best player this season by by miles. You know, be their creativity, scoring goals, really helping Antonio at the top end of the pitch. So I think that's the issue now for David Moyes is how does he sustain it with the squad that he has? You know, he has a good team and a team that that can compete for the top four but I think as the season rolls on and the games accumulate and stack up you might find that they fall away yeah I agree Jim if you're listening I'm sorry but I think it's going to be Europa rather than uh, than Champions League for West Ham right we're going to take a quick break here on Sunday's edition of the Football Social Daily we've talked about the title race Manchester Derby and Liverpool keeping the pace up on City after the break it is the relegation battle Jesse Marsh's start to life as Leeds boss ended in defeat at Leicester Sean Dyche picked up a second second successive defeat as Burnley slipped up at Chelsea but 
it was positive news for one team down the bottom as Brentford won for the first time in what seems like forever. We're going to be talking about all of those games in just a second. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Before the break, it was the excitement of the title race. Manchester City and Liverpool going toe-to-toe. We're going to drop all the way down to the bottom half of the table and take a quick look at the latest relegation picture. Rob, I'm going to go to you on Leeds against Leicester first. Pre-game was dominated by one man, Jesse March, taking over from Marcelo Bielsa. We know Bielsa has had this fantastic relationship with the Leeds fans since his arrival and this has been a bit of a gritted teeth decision that the club have made to remove him from his position. They've not messed around, Marsh has come in, the objectives from what Leeds want from him in the short term are pretty clear. They've got 10 games to save themselves from Premier League relegation. Didn't start well, they dominated, created loads of chances, had loads of shots, 13 shots in total but they couldn't find a way past Kasper Schmeichel and oddly... This was a very Bielsa performance, despite the fact that Bielsa was at his home in Leeds, probably having a cup of tea. Jesse March said at the end of the game that the performance and the attitude of the players was more important than the result. You can make those comments in October. You can't be making those comments in March, Jesse March in March, when Leeds are staring relegation right in the face. No, Leeds need to start winning games, don't they? They need to find a way to get points. Um, as you said then, as he said, funnily enough, I thought Leeds played really well. Watch this game uh, from start to finish. I thought Leicester were really lucky, but of course Leicester themselves have had a bad campaign. So a 1-0 victory, they're very, very happy with that. Um, it was a very Bielsa-like performance and you kind of think to yourself, you know, why could they not do this this season under the coach that's taken them so far? But I do think also with, you know, you talk about generational coaches, coaches who have strong philosophies. Sometimes you just run out of luck and run out of road at the end of it. And I think that's really what happened with Bielsa. And Jesse March comes to the football club with a big reputation. He is a very good coach, um, but he's never experienced the Premier League before. So it is a little bit of a roll of a dice because he's not proven in this division. But at the same time, he is a good coach and you feel that if they can survive this season, that he'll be a good long-term option for them. One of the most damning statistics for Leeds, whether it was Bielsa prior to last weekend or now Jesse March this weekend, Jay, is the amount of shots. I know I mentioned there how many they had this weekend against Leicester, but looking at the last three games, 29 shots and not a single goal in three games. And when you stretch that out to five games, four under Bielsa and then this weekend under March, that goes up to 45 shots and just two goals. They're going to get a lot of pat on the back for the way that they play and the way that Bielsa sets them up and the fact that when you can watch them, there is some excitement and they, you know you never really know what you're going to get. But in an odd way, based on 2022, the one thing that you know you're not going to get is a goal. All this back patting and well done for this and the way that they do things is admirable won't amount to anything if Leeds are playing championship football next season. No, no, you're right. And, and a lot of the reasons, a lot of times that people sort of give them credit and like them and admire them is because you invariably beat them and it's easy to admire a team when they play nice football and then you take all three points off them I think that um, Patrick Bamford I think was on the bench for the Leicester game um, I know he's barely played this season I think he's, he's played about six games or something like that um, if they can get him back in the team that might help him I know last season obviously he, you know he, he did very well indeed because they need someone who can finish they need someone who can convert some of these chances they're just going just gonna to be that team aren't they they're going to be that team that plays nice football that people admire and, and give credit to but ultimately go down because you can't keep sort of creating chances and not taking them I think they played Dan James as the, the sort of striker the other day oh sorry against Leicester and Listen, Dan James was at United and done quite well from his time at United and he was a, a decent player for us but he wasn't a striker and I think if you're relying on him to lead your line you've got issues there um, so yeah it's it's one of those where they need to start scoring goals sooner rather than later because you know, playing football or nice football is all well and good but <laughs> get your old cliche bell out, bell out mm. for me uh, Fergal it's points that matter and they just aren't picking enough of them up 
Yeah, 23 points on the board from 27 games played so far and they are bottom of the Premier League form table as it stands. So a big amount of work for Jesse March to do in the next couple of weeks. One of the other teams that are down there, Rob, is Burnley. Positive running form in February. They got 11 points in seven Premier League games. Obviously, they were playing catch-up from having quite a few matches cancelled over Christmas due to COVID-19. Really strong signs in February that they were going to dig themselves out of this. I'm going to say, again, I'm still sticking with them. I still think they will get out of it. But in March, that's dropped off. Back-to-back defeats. They lost against Leicester in Monday Night Action. And then they were thumped 4-0 at home to Chelsea this time out. Sean Dyche won't be ringing the panic bell as it stands. He's a pragmatist in these situations. He knows that they're not expected to beat Chelsea. Any points against Chelsea, blah, 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 are a bonus. But they need to stabilise because they've got a really important run of games coming up. They've got Brentford away next weekend, who they could drag into deeper trouble. Then they have to play City, but then it's Norwich and West Ham away from home after that. And you get the sense that they can't just fall away if they are to get out of this because there's too many variables swirling around. And Sean Dyche does need to maybe tighten up a little bit. Yes, indeed. But I, th- I think it's funny, Bernie. I'm just looking at their record and, uh, you know, they've won three games this year. That's it, three. <laughs> so it's amazing that they're still okay that they're on this cusp of the relegation battle with 21 points. When you look at teams above them, like Everton are 22, Leeds 23, there's still scope there, I think, for Burnley to climb the table. Like you said, I think against Chelsea, it's a it's a bit of a gimme, isn't it? You expect Chelsea to win and you expect that, that Burnley are not going to get anything out of that match. But we've still got enough games, I think, in this campaign for, for Burnley to survive comfortably. And I still think when you look at the way that their form has changed, you know, since the turn of the year... Out of that bottom six or seven, for me, they look like one of the more relaxed options to actually stay up. Because they've done it so many times and and Daesh has done it so many times. Done it so many times and they're just comfortable in their own skin in this position. So they're 18th. They won't care about that at all. They will just be like, we'll carry on. We'll take it game by game. And of course, Daesh preaches this, doesn't he? It's his style. It's what he wants to do. So I don't think they'll be worried. I think the only only reason they'll be worried is if they get to last two, three games of the, the season, if they're in this position, then it gets a little bit more precarious. But I think as it stands, they'll feel fairly comfortable where they are. Um, the only team to actually win in the bottom six this weekend, Jay, was Brentford. First win in nine in the Premier League. They've had a dreadful run of form in 2022 so far. Just one point from nine Premier League games. Eight defeats is really dented confidence. But there is some positivity in the air for Thomas Frank. Obviously, the Christian Eriksen story of him coming into the club. And he showed in this game that he's not there as just a, a story to be focused on based on the difficult situation he had over the summer, coming back to full health and back to full fitness, being released from Inter Milan and now joining Brentford. He showed this weekend that he's going to be a really, really important player for them. They do still have work to do to dig themselves out of it, but looking at the situation, looking at the Premier League as it stands, there's still games in hand dotted around as we look at it, but they are six points away from safety. They have played 28. No one else down there has played 28. Thomas Frank can breathe a little bit easier this weekend, but they've still got work to do. Yeah, they have still got work to do, but, you know, as, as, as Rob's pointing out as well, you know, you look at teams like Burnley, they've only won three games, so having those points in the bag rather than games in hand, it could prove vital to Brentford. Big win for them. Massive win over, obviously, you know, a, a team that are struggling. Um, saw the Christian Eriksen, I saw the highlights, and obviously Christian Eriksen playing his part, I think, with the, was it Ivan Tony's first goal, I think, or was it the, the, the non-penalty goal? And his corner got yeah, the penalty. Yeah, well. yeah, oh, his corner got the penalty. There was that lovely clip as well of Brandon Williams <laughs> going for him, then realising it was Christian <laughs> Eriksen and giving him a hug, which I thought was, was pretty heartwarming. Um, so, listen... Brentford have, have, have had this awful run. It's a massive win for them. With someone like Ivan Toner, who I know it's easy to focus on him because he's just got a hat-trick, but he does look like he's a good player and a bit of a handful as well. Eriksen coming in there and obviously being productive, then they've got a, a, a good chance for me of, of staying up. And I think that would be, a just from a personal point of view, I think it'd be a good story if they did, obviously, getting into the Premier League first time. Going straight back down, it'd be a bit saddening, wouldn't it? So if they can stay up, especially with the Christian Eriksen factor, which does adds a, adds a little bit of... of Romance, if that's the right word to it as well. It'd be a nice story in the, in the, in the Premier League season on whole. 
Looking at Ivan Tony, Rob, and Jay makes a good point that inevitably when we talk about Brentford, we do focus on him. And, you know, we can say this about various teams over the last couple of seasons. When we look at a team that are maybe just middling around in the Premier League, you tend to focus on their star player. But this hat-trick's not out of the blue. He's got five goals in his last four Premier League games. He's, he's doing his part, even when Brentford have been struggling. And you look at the teams down, in and around them, in the bottom of the table... He's arguably the pick of the crop. Norwich hasn't really happened for Team Mapuki. Emmanuel Dennis is probably the closest to him. He's got nine in the Premier League this season. Burnley lost Chris Wood. But Beghorst has come in and looks good, but has got a bit of work to do. Dominic Calvert-Lewin just cannot stay fit for Everton. And then Patrick Bamford, who we mentioned for Leeds, has been injured for the majority of the campaign. Other than maybe Dennis, is Ivan Tony not necessarily the best striker down there, but the most potent and the most informed? Yeah, I think at the start of the season, people thought because we had such a great season last year in the Championship that he was going to explode on the league this year and be a kind of a surprise factor. And it just didn't happen early on in the campaign for him. You know, he, he was he was involved in matches, he was influential, but he just couldn't put the ball in the net. He seems to have rectified that now. And I think for Brentford, that's kind of perfect timing. And I think also, you know, we just talked about Christian Eriksen there. You know, Brentford have just signed a Champions League standard player. You know, people have to realise this. So if you've got someone like that taking your set pieces and you've got someone like Tony on form, I think the odds are it's stacked in your favour now. I think Brentford will survive simply because of that one signing and also just the form of their striker. Just want to look at the relegation picture before we take a break, Jay. We start to look at the table and see the little splits and who's safe, etc. So Brighton, 33 points. Newcastle, 28 points. You'd say that's probably a gap that's going to widen. Brighton are probably safe already. Down the bottom, it is still very tight and there's games in hand spread right the way across the board. I think Brentford are the only ones to have actually played 28 games in the whole bottom half of the table. How do you see the relegation picture as it stands? Watford and Norwich, we talk about them as if they're doomed, but they're not. Norwich are only five points away from safety. Watford are only three points away from safety. And Burnley are only a point. Everton obviously taking on Tottenham tomorrow night. There's going to be a few twists and turns between now and the end of the season. But what's your gut on the picture as it stands? I think last time I was on, I, I, think, I can't remember if it was me or you, Rob, or who it was on with. We spoke about Everton getting sucked into it now. You tipped United to go down. I think that's what you said. <laughs> don't, don't. It's the way I feel at the minute. That's not far off what I'm predicting. Um, but I just feel with Everton that maybe they could have got get sucked into it. I know they've got quite a few games in hand, but they haven't really had much of a managerial bounce since mm. since Lampard's got in. And I just thought if that if I had to pick a sort of almost a wild card of a you know a, a, a sort of a left field prediction. Maybe Everton, maybe because Sean Dyche with his experience can help get Burnley out of there. Maybe Leeds just have enough to, to, to avoid it and maybe it is Everton. But, I mean, the, the, some of those teams, results are so few and far between for them that one mm. win all of a sudden completely changes the complexion of things. So it is very difficult to predict. I mean, you can, I'd say, you know, you've already mentioned it there, Fergal, the, 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 the form that Newcastle are in, the way they've had that massive sort of all that massive bouncing and run of games since the transfer window as well. They look like a team that's that's out of it. I know they're not technically, but they look confident. They've got games in hand. They've got decent points. They're having a good run. Brentford, again, I think they've got a little bit of hope there. Leeds, we'll have to see what the new manager does there, but they're still in it. And for me, Everton, yes, they've got games in hand, but we've seen this before with the teams down there. A lot of the time they've got games in hand, but they don't convert them into points. So they've, mm. they've got to start winning some football matches. It's, it's that simple. So... Yeah, I said it last time and I'll say it again. I could see Everton maybe getting sorts into it and maybe breaking some sort of record because I think they've been in the top flight forever. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, they've been in the whole way through the Premier League era and that'd be, a, that'd be a big blow for them. Rob, when you look at the situation down the bottom, four of the bottom five clubs have changed their manager this season. Daniel Fark has gone and Dean Smith has come in. Uh, Claudio Ranieri's gone. Roy Hodgson's come into Watford. Sean Dyche has stayed. Rafa Benitez was sacked. Frank Lampard's come in. And now Jesse March has replaced Bielsa at Leeds. You could almost make an argument to say that none of them have had a really big managerial bounce. There was little flickers of positivity with Smith and Norwich. Roy Hodgson is not going to get the pulse racing. And I don't think it would be sensible for Roy Hodgson to get his own pulse racing too much. And then Lampard, there's been little bits, but in reality, it's not really caught fire March probably give him a game or two to get his feet under the table, but he has lost his first game. None of these clubs that have made the decision to get rid of a manager that was probably universally, with the exception of Bielsa, disliked by the majority of the fan base, 
none of them have really had an impact. And it's actually slow and steady Sean Dyche that is probably doing the best out of all of them. Yeah, and I think we're, we're moving away from an era of, you know, just bringing in your Sam Allardyce and getting out the bottom three and surviving to the next campaign. So I, I think this is it. The clubs are still trying to make progressive coaching appointments. You know, you've seen that obviously with Leeds United recently as well. And obviously with Everton, they're trying to put Lampard in there into a situation that he's really never been in before. So that's quite interesting. Uh, it was actually myself, as the Jay just said it there, but I put my neck on the block that day when we did a podcast and I said that Everton will get relegated. See, I'm, now, I'm I, I think your cult sales as always. You, <laughs> you, you can have it, Jay. You can, you, you can, you, uh, you know, I need some company with this one because... Uh, you know they have got games in hand and you would expect them to survive because of that but they've lost 14 games this year in the Premier League and you look at that and you know it's a it's it, it points to something different doesn't it I think that when you're taking on the likes of Burnley and maybe slightly resurgent Watford even Norwich at the bottom are only five points below Everton as it stands you could see that all three of those teams move ahead of Everton so I think it's going to be a really really tough end to the season for Frank Lampard So who's your pick? Jay's kind of going for Everton who, who are your picks to go down? I think Norwich will go down and I think Watford will go down and I think Burnley will stay up above Everton. I think Leeds are still in that picture, but I do think that they'll get a little bit of a bounce with Marsh. We saw in that game, even though they lost it to Leicester, they were very much Leicester's equal and Leicester obviously being a mid-table team and a team that has Champions League aspirations most seasons. So I think Leeds have got enough to stay up and they should pull away from there. But I think when you look at Everton, they're just a club that really lack any kind of leadership or depth and there's so many multiple issues there you know Rafa Benitez got all the blame for it but I think they're a club that are in free fall yeah I just I am going to sit on the fence sorry I just think there's still so much to go I think Watford and Norwich sorry Canaries and Hornets fans I, I still think they are gone Hudson and Smith have done some good stuff but it's very difficult to call it because I just I just think there's going to be a big narrative between now and the end of the season and, and I'm going to sit on the fence for another couple of weeks I am back in Burnley to stay up but who's going to replace them Ask me at the end of the month and I'll uh, I'll do my best to uh, to give you an answer. Right, we are going to grab another break before we wrap up tonight's show. After the break, it is the final four games of the weekend. And speaking of four, Arsenal are back in the top four as the Gunners push for a first top four finish since the glory days of Arsene Wenger back in 2016. Three points for Steven Gerrard. Things just keep getting better for Jay. We're going to be talking about their win over Southampton. Newcastle beat Brighton and Crystal Palace. Another favourite of Jay's, Patrick Vieira, continuing his great work at Selhurst Park. All that to come, including Jay being upset about it, in a second. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Just a quick reminder, if you're a regular listener to the show or if you're a brand new fan of what we're doing here at the Sport Social, we are a daily Premier League podcast. It's going to be a fantastic end to the campaign. And if you hit subscribe on this episode, you can get access to a brand new episode every single day relegation champions league the title race we are going to be here every single step of the way right we're going to wrap up the final few games of the weekend rob i'm going to go to you on watford against arsenal to give jay a little bit of a break because he's had to talk about liverpool and united getting beat so i'm going to pass the uh, the watford arsenal game over to you 3-2 win for arsenal but neither two nor three are the big numbers for Arsenal at full time. Four is the number because Arsenal have leapfrogged Manchester United and they are in the top four for the first time in 2022. Impressive going forward for Arsenal. Three excellent goals, but problems at the back. This is all Mikel Arteta has to focus on between now and the end of the season. Myself as an Arsenal fan, this is all I have to focus on between now and the end of the season, as well as, you know, life. But no Cups, no Europe... It's now that Arteta needs to put his foot down between here and the end of the season. We talked about West Ham and then maybe slipping out of it. Tottenham have got a couple of games in hand and they still have a say in the top four. But is this now just a straightforward race like the old days? Like the old days, getting the band back together. Is this just Arsenal and United hammer and tongs between now and the end of the campaign? 
Well, I put my neck on the block a minute ago about Everton, saying they're going to get relegated, and I'll put my neck on the block about Arsenal. I think Arsenal are going to come third. So I think if Manchester United want to be in the top four, they're going to be battling Chelsea for that place. I, I just like what Arsenal are doing. You know, I've watched every game this season for work. You know, we, we've had our kind of bits and pieces with Arteta about is he good enough? What was he doing? How was he going to achieve stuff? And I think the Aubameyang kind of turning point has has given Arsenal the direction that they needed. You know, in galvanized terms of, them. It absolutely has. You know, it's taken Arteta's place as the manager and as a leader of the football club and it's taken them to another level now all the games in hand help that's a really big point here of looking about moving forward as it stands they are five points behind Chelsea and just with one game in hand on them Chelsea have obviously got their European campaign still in place but I just I just watched the Arsenal team and even though today was a, a, a strange match where it went to the very end of the match at 3-2 some of the play that Arsenal are now doing with their young players the shapes the movement the tactics dare I say it, it's glorious you know if, I'm an, if I was an Arsenal fan I would be looking at this and I would be so hopeful and happy for the future so I think that Arsenal are going to do it this year I think they're going to come third uh, I think Chelsea have got their own issues to sort out you know they're won 4-0 this weekend but I still don't think that they're perfect and I think Manchester United now will just fall away from those clubs because I just when you look at the programme and United's own form and their own issues uh, they're nowhere near these teams in terms of standards um, and looking at how this could potentially shake down Jay it could be a bit of a, a revival of the early noughties we'll go back to loose jeans and mad fashion and terrible lifestyle choices but this could be Wenger, Ferguson again Rangnick, Arteta again I know we're not battling for the title but you know small mercies it's a tough world at the moment is that how it's going to go down? Rob's just boosted himself up on my Christmas card list by saying that Arsenal are going to get third I think it'll be fourth I think Chelsea will, will hold us off but is that what it is for United now just trying to battle with Arsenal to get into the top four? Um, it looks like it for the foreseeable but certainly this season I think Arsenal I agree with I don't agree with Rob that they'll get third I agree with you I think you'll get fourth I do I think that Arteta's got, made some big decisions not least the Obama young one and he's, he's he looks like he's got them right and I think there's every time I come on here I've sort of spoken about well not every time but certainly the last couple of months or so I've spoken about Arsenal there just seems to be a bit of positivity at the club that's been lacking over the years you seem to have players there that, that are popular, the youngsters, the, you know, you've got, when, you, when you've got young players that have come through, the fans can, can rally around them. And when you're playing a type of football that's scoring goals and the youngsters are doing well, then people buy into that. And I think that the thing with Arsenal is you've always had this sort of being in, on the brink of imploding. There's always been, you know, certain players aren't happy, the manager's under pressure, they're not getting on, there's no unity in the squad. And that doesn't seem to be happening anymore. There does seem to be a sort of a real sort of like a, a bond between these players and a positive, positive, positivity from the fans and the, the club itself. Arteta has given himself a bit of breathing space with the results he's getting. So yeah, it, it's, it's yet another reason to feel sick during this podcast, but I think Arsenal will get top four. I think you're looking good at the minute and I think, yeah, I think it'll be the, the sort of the top four as it, as it is now, I think, is, is for me how it'll finish. Uh, another team moving in a positive direction in terms of their objectives for the season is Newcastle. 2-1 win at home to Brighton. And we talked about the state of play down the bottom of the table earlier, Rob. Newcastle are top of the relegation candidates. And I'm not going to mention the R word because I was speaking to a Newcastle fan this morning and he said, if you're on the podcast tonight, please don't say that we are safe from R. So I'm not going to say it, but Newcastle are doing very well and are looking very strong to achieving what they would like to do and what Eddie Howe set out to do. I'm not going to mention the word that I can't say, so please don't you say it either because he'll never forgive me. But form-wise, only Manchester City have picked up more points than them in the last five games. Eddie Howe has got some really smart names through the door in January. Forget about Keelan and Mbappe and Erling Haaland. They've got big Dan Byrne at the back. They're doing really well. They're digging themselves out of the mire that they're in. He deserves a lot of credit and it could be a positive end to the season for Newcastle. Yeah, I'll say it. Newcastle are safe. <laughs> just don't so say the R when, word you can say the S word but don't say the R word no 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 well, we're, we're, I, I think now when you look at Newcastle they're only 20 points behind Arsenal 
So, you know, they're not far off the top four, are they? I think when you look at the football club and the money that they've got, that this season was always just about survival. Eddie Howe has done that, I think. I think that's almost there, that, that objective. And I've, I've said it again. I've said it on this podcast previously and put my neck on the block. I think Newcastle will win the Premier League in the next three or four years. I really do believe that because of the money that will seep through that football club. So where they are now, you know, we talk about them being 14th in this relegation battle that they had. I think the story is going to get a whole lot better for Newcastle fans because I think next year when they have a full summer transfer window and then obviously a winter one after that there'll be a club of talking about the top six at the very very least and maybe even Champions League football Wow uh, what, a, what, a, what a glimpse into the future Eddie Howe Premier League winner um, final two games of the season Jay nice little bit of neatness because they can definitely get fouled under mid-table also runs 8th 9th 10th and 11th all in action Aston Villa 4 Southampton nil. this was a bit of a mad game because as I say neither of these are in danger of going down Europe's probably a bit of a step too far but Aston Villa were really impressive in this game I watched the highlights afterwards and all four games brilliantly taken and Felipe Coutinho was right at the heart of it we know that coming back to Aston Villa was partially motivated by Steven Gerrard we know that he was a big focal point in getting him from Barcelona you know Aston Villa don't generally sign players from Barcelona that just doesn't happen but when Steven Gerrard is in charge that does change things seven Premier League games three goals three assists he's been huge for them since he came in the decision that Gerrard needs to make with him in the summer is does he sign him on a permanent deal and this is always difficult when it's a loan situation because he is a talented player we're probably never going to see the Liverpool Coutinho again but when someone's on loan they're eager to impress Felipe Coutinho is a long since gone from Liverpool. He's not that player anymore. There's still part of it in there. How does Gerrard play this? Because if he wants to bring him in, he's going to have to pay a big fee and put him on big wages. But on the flip side, if he doesn't, he probably doesn't really have a chance of pushing for Europe next season because they need that type of player to go into what's a fairly standard mid-table Premier League team. I mean... You know, from the outside looking in, I think if he can keep Coutinho, if he can sign him on a permanent deal, he should do. You just said there, you know, Villa don't usually sign players from Barcelona and there's a reason for that, no disrespect to Aston Villa, but they're usually, you know, mid-table at best. And you look at a player like Coutinho, who on his day is, you know, he's one of the most dangerous players in the Premier League. I know his day is few and far between in terms of some of the other top players, but he's still got something to offer. We've seen that. And I think if you've got him and you can get a tune out of him, then you, you're giving yourself a fighting chance of, of challenging near the top end of the table, certainly near the European places or the Europa League places anyway. So, yeah, if I think if they can keep him, they should do. I just don't know whether, I don't know anything about this. I don't know whether he's looking at this as just a bit of a stepping stone, put himself in a shot window and, and, and move on to... No, I, th- I think Barcelona will be happy to let him go. If, yeah. if, Gerard, if Gerard offered to pay, I think it's 40, 45 for him, yeah. plus fairly big wages, I think they're happy to let him go. I mean, even if it's... To Villa, or if another club, one of you know, when Europe comes in from or whatever, I don't know, but I think if Villa can sign him, then I think they should do because he is a talent. He's, he's you know, he's a different, completely different player to Jack Grealish, but he's got that sort of element of being a match winner for them that Grealish had. So yeah, I, I think that'd be a good fit, and obviously someone that, that Gerard knows well. I, I saw Gerard speaking about him after the game and waxing lyrical about him, and that's the sort of thing you'd want to see from your manager talking about a, a talented player like Coutinho. So. Yeah, it does seem to me to be a good fit. It just depends on whether they can afford him, whether they're willing to pay it and whether he'd want to make that deal permanent himself. Final game of the weekend, Wolves nil, Crystal Palace to Gerrard's old sparring partner in the Premier League midfield, Patrick Vieira. has done really impressive job at Selhurst Park this season, Rob. He's going to hopefully, potentially, get them their first top half finish for, for some time in the top flight. And then on the flip side, you look at Wolves, a couple of weeks, a month is a long, long time in Premier League football. At the end of January, sneaking into February, Wolves were on the edge of the Europa League, potentially even making a bit of a bold run for the Champions League. Fast forward, they've lost three games in a row now. And you look at the picture, you know, we go all the way back to West Ham that we we're talking about right at the start of the show, slipping at the most important time. Wolves do seem to be heading in one direction, and that's probably edging out of the top six, top seven. 
Yeah, I think as well. We look at Wolves and Palace. They have they have been those kind of mid table success stories this year, haven't they? With with two new managers, both playing a brand of football that's exciting and nice on the eye. But I think you look at Palace this year. You know they've lost nine games uh, in the league. That's the same as West Ham. So it's been an incredible few months, I think, for Patrick Vieira. And I do think that this is a, an audition for him for a bigger job for in the future. I do see him being a top six man, six manager in years to come. Yeah, it's just difficult to see how they how like I suppose a good way to wrap this the show up, Jay, is looking at the situation for those four teams. They're safe probably from relegation. Europe's probably a bit of a stretch too far. This is a real measure of your ability as a manager, and particularly young and new to the Premier League managers in Vieira and Gerard. You throw Bruno Lage into that and obviously Ralph Hasenhutl who's been around for a bit longer. It is difficult to motivate a set of players with 10, 11 games of the season to go when you know there's nothing left. I know there's a bit of cup uh, excitement of Crystal Palace, but ultimately you are just going through the motions. But it's a measure of particularly Gerard and Vieira carrying over their attitudes as a player that you don't stop until the last ball is kicked. Yeah, definitely. And I, I wonder as well how much of it is looking towards next season. Because if you're buying into what these managers are doing, you believe in them, then you th- you know you'd want to perform well and do well because next season we're going to add a couple of players. We're going to try and move up. We're going to try and get into them European places, you know. And do you want to be a part of that? I think that'd be a motivational factor for some of these players. So yeah, you're right. It can be a little bit like, well, what are you playing for? But you're always playing for something. And I think that the fact that, that there is a bit of you know a bit of momentum with these managers, it's like the the the, the well known. The, 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 you know, in the, certainly in the case of Gerard and Vieira, uh, you know, Premier League icons, young, moving the club forward, obviously got ambitions far higher than just being mid-table. So you think that, that maybe players are sort of looking into that and going, OK, I want to be a part of this, not just this season, but the seasons to come. But players that players are also look, playing for contracts now as well. Like in the old days, if you were in the in mid table, you were probably you know not on great wages. You know certainly compared to the top clubs. You were just talked about uh, Coutinho there a minute ago with Aston Villa. Aston Villa are the fifth richest club in the country. So it's a it's a difficult one. I think these players now they've got a, a good chance of of having big deals next year and being at clubs that could challenge for the top six. Mikel Arteta, Jay, pushing Arsenal for top four. Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard and Patrick Vieira all doing relatively well uh, so far. Obviously, Everton got a bit of a battle on their hands. There's only one man that can come in next season and put manners on Lampard, Gerrard and Vieira. Who's it going to be? Roy Keane. Is that the one? (laughs) 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 Do we give it Keane Is that what you suggested? I think I think it's the only way. I've just I've been thinking about this for so long. There's been so many like Sky are absolutely dying to do this Lampard, Gerard, throw Vieira back in. Patrick Vieira's not interested in Gerard and Lampard. They're small fry for him. He wants Roy Keane. And would you give him a go? Would you could you see could you see him getting a manager's job, Rob? I'm not saying United, we're kinda of laughing. Well, you never know. Could you see him? Would you think someone would go for him as a Premier League manager? The short answer is no. Just no. I just think with Roy, he is a a great football guy, won lots of trophies for Man United, fantastic captain. Is he a great coach? No, unfortunately not. I think there's way too many stories about Roy Keane's coaching methods that, that show he's probably not suited to be an elite manager. Yeah, and I think if you're worried about a player exodus at Manchester United this summer, if you want one way of getting players out of the club, then appoint Roy Keane in any role. Put him in the club shop and you'll soon see players heading for the exit door. (laughs) Right, we're going to wrap it up for tonight's edition of the Football Social Daily. Not the nicest of nights for either of you, Jay and Rob, but there's still plenty to play for between now and the end of the season. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, thanks. I, 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 I feel like saying thanks for having us. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's always good to catch up with you two, regardless of the devastating result we've just had to stomach. Uh, well, yeah, me and Joe will both be back home when we win the Champions yeah. League. So, <laughs> okay, that's a, that's a promise. Okay, right, we're gonna we've got that recorded. That's that's down in stone. So you'll both be on when Manchester United win the Champions yeah. League, but we don't know when that is. It could be this season or it could be 2050 when we're all cruising around in uh, in flying cars. Right, that's it for tonight. Uh, the team will be back tomorrow. Jim, Marley, Niall, the rest of the gang previewing Tottenham against Everton and obviously looking ahead to those Champions League games. Manchester United warming up for when they are going to win the Champions League. You heard it here first on the Football Social Daily. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you again very, very soon. 
Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.